Funniest thing I learned about Twitter in the past 24 hours, the KFC account follows exactly uh, 11 people. It's the five members of the Spice Girls and six guys named Herbert to, to give them a mix of 11 herbs and spices. Oh, my God. <laughs> Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Kolke. And we're here today to talk about tooling and the environment. Not the actual environment, although since I mentioned the word, I feel uh, constrained to gloat a little bit living in Florida and seeing the weather reports in the Northeast, where this weekend they're apparently expecting 18 to 40 inches of snow or something absurd. Yikes. 72 degrees here in Central Florida. Thank you very much. Well, no, we're talking about the sort of environment you use to develop software that we use to develop software. Everything from um, the room that you're in to the computer that you use to the software that you have on the computer and probably some other stuff as well. Yeah, so I think we should probably start off with where are you, right? Where, where should you be when you're actually going about uh, writing code? Um, and I think kind of the obvious places would be the office where you work. Hopefully um, not. In, hopefully not. But if you're being employed uh, by a company to do software, you're probably going to be in an office. Um, and then the other options would be potentially working at home if they allow that. Um, or, uh, you know, if you're working on stuff that is for you, um, where in your house is a good place to do that? Um, should you have a dedicated space? Should you just sort of sit on the couch? Or even if you have the freedom, do you want to leave home and go out to a coffee shop or right. a shared workspace or something like that? Right. So maybe we could start by talking a little bit about kind of how we have worked in our careers so far. Um, and maybe, you know, what we've noticed in the past that works for us and, uh, and what we're doing now. For me, the vast majority of my career has been either freelancing or in an environment where remote work was acceptable. So I've had the, I guess the luxury, although I, I think it should be a standard option at least of working from home. And that's pretty exclusively what I've chosen to do. Uh, not in a dedicated room, although I've experimented with that once in a while. I think usually because when I, I try to assign a room, I pick the room that I kind of don't like to be in for other reasons. So it's, it's not the most pleasant spot in the house. And instead I end up in uh, the more comfortable locations, which tends to be just a couch and sitting probably with not the best posture and um, just kind of hanging out there. But the places that you would be otherwise, even if you weren't working. Yeah. So I think that works for some people, and I think it kind of doesn't work for others. I I, I know that <clears throat> for some people, it's it doesn't really matter where they are. They can just sort of become, get into work mode, and then they're working. And when they're done, you know, I've definitely observed that about you, Brian. You, you seem to be able to kind of switch into just sort of a mental mode where you're like, I'm working now, and it doesn't really matter where I'm doing that. Whereas others, I think, need more of a dedicated space so they can feel like there's some separation between work and home. Even if the work is happening in the home, it's perhaps happening in a specific place in the home that is kind of dedicated to work stuff. Um, I have right now I'm sitting in, I have a, a room that is our recording room for the podcast and I have a desk and stuff. And usually when I work from home, um, I use this room as well for the same reason, because it's 
on purpose. It's a quiet room um, designed for, you know, for, for podcasting. And so therefore it actually also makes for a good, just kind of quiet out of the way workspace. Um, even if I'm not recording, I'm just trying to, you know, think and, and get stuff done. And I've always been intrigued by that idea that having the dedicated space, a lot of people talk about the benefits. I think more people talk about the benefits of doing it that way than say, ah, eh, just go ahead and use whatever room you're in anyhow. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the layouts of the houses that I've been living that I haven't been able to make that work, or if maybe if I tried to do things to make that room more livable. Uh, what kind of stuff do you have in your secluded home office to, to make it a comfortable place to be for a long stretch of time? Yeah. So I, I would say in the current space that I'm living, um, it's not actually all that comfortable. <laughs> so <laughs> so I want to I want to fix that. Um, but right now, basically what I've got is I designed this room for two things for um, podcasting, which I'm doing right now. Um, and also I needed a dedicated space to put, I have an Oculus Rift, which is a VR gaming system. Okay. And it requires a reasonable amount of floor space to be able to be useful because you're going to stand and you're going to have you know a headset on and not going to be able to see literally around you. You're going to be in the virtual world. So you need some room to kind of walk around and, and enjoy that game, the, the games that are on there. Um, and so you need Basically, a room that is essentially empty. I mean, it's not totally empty, but it's a room that has a decent amount of floor space. So what I've done is I've created a space that is in the corner. I've got my podcasting desk with my mic and stuff, and then I've also got some acoustic foam and stuff like that to just to make it so that it's a good environment for this. Um, and then kind of the rest of the room is actually mostly dedicated to the VR system. So um, it's actually not that great of a an office, like a general purpose office. Um, but it serves those two things. And then I find I work one day, work from home one day per week. So I find that it is suitable enough to come in here and, and work, uh, mostly because, uh, the rest of the house is kind of busy and stuff's going on. And, and it's just a way for me to get out. Of, it's living a townhouse. So it's, there's three stories. And so I'm on the highest floor. I'm in the corner of the, of the unit, mm-hmm. um, in the last bet in the last room. Um, and so it's quiet, uh, there's not any, there's not a bunch of like road noise and other kind of stuff, you know, in the That's neighborhood. Important. So, so it's nice and quiet. Um, and it's away from kind of everything, the dogs and stuff. So, um, whether it's this recording or it's, it's just sort of sitting quietly and trying to contemplate how to solve the next problem, you know, that I'm, that I'm working on code wise. Um, it's a good place to do that. You mentioned something that I always found very important, the, the quietness, because you said earlier that you thought I had the ability to kind of enter a focused state pretty easily. And I think I'm a strange combination of uh, oblivious to my surroundings while at the same time exquisitely sensitive to noise. (laughs) That's a terrible combination. It's a terrible combination. (laughs) It's it's not my favorite pair of features about myself. But uh, forever, really, I've, I've found that when I'm working on something, I will notice, uh, particularly when I had either neighbors with whom I shared a wall and I could hear stereos coming through or you know doors slamming or uh, heaven forbid the neighbor's dogs and whether I was sharing a wall or just if there was a you know a dog in the yard next door, I would feel like any time that sound hit me, I was pulled out of whatever I was doing and then spend many minutes trying to get back to where I was and kind of obsessing over, oh, that sound. 
I don't think that people, especially people who are not programmers, I think they don't understand uh, and probably can't understand the 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 fullness of how annoying it is to be yanked out of a concentrated focused state when you're trying to, maybe you're even on a roll. You feel like, wow, this code is just sort of pouring out of me. I'm, I'm halfway through the algorithm and I'm, and I, I, this is great. And then something happens. Someone, uh, yeah, a noise happens or someone taps you on the shoulder or there's some other distraction and you have to stop what you're doing, change over to that context help them or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm specifically kind of talking about like being in an office and having yeah. someone come up to you indiscriminately and just ask you a question. And you're like, uh, I'm sorry, what can you repeat that? And then, and then they, they ask you and you talk about it for a couple of minutes and then they walk away. And the thing is it's gone. The thing that you had is completely gone. That focus, that control, that, 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 you know, whatever the opposite of a writer's block is that sort of, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of pouring out of the you. The state and, of and flow. It's, yeah. The state of flow. Yeah. It's gone. And it's going to take you probably between anywhere between a couple of minutes. And I've read the average context switching takes, it can take like 15 minutes for you to get back truly to the state that you were in before. And so I think the c- companies and people and just sort of society in general don't understand how disruptive it really is to have noises and people talking to you and just stuff getting in the way when you're trying to code. Coding is is a, an interesting thing where it doesn't look like a lot's going on. Like if you were to watch me code, right, it, it's probably really boring because there's a lot of, you know, there's some typing and then I'm thinking and then I'm staring at stuff and I'm switching files. And, I, and it, you know, if you look at the act of me coding, it's probably really boring and to an outsider, it doesn't look like much is going on. You're like, you're just sitting in front of a computer typing words. What's the big deal? I heard a guy, uh, an, a published author once was asked why he decided to enter that line of work. And he said, because it lets me spend most of every day doing what I love the most. And the questioner said, oh, you love writing that much? And he said, no, I love just looking out the window because that's how I spend most yeah. of my time. Right. Is trying to come up with what I'm going to write. And same for us. Yeah, I think people, I think people who are not, aware of how programming works i think they think that we sit down in front of a computer and we put our fingers on the keyboard and then we type for eight hours and then we leave that's how hugh jackson did it in swordfish (laughs) that's true and and there we see how unrealistic that's that scene was um but uh or really let's say any hacking scene in any any tv show or movie movie. that's an episode (laughs) unto itself i'm into the mainframe with three (laughs) button presses okay first of all they don't have a mainframe but whatever um (laughs) Uh, but they think that it's sort of a typing job, right? Like that programming is a job that's based on typing. No, not even remotely close to that. It is mostly a sitting at your desk, staring off into space with headphones on, contemplating how am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to write this algorithm to make sure that not only does the computer do do what I say, but that it also does what I want. And those are often not the same thing. Um, So I think a physical space that is dedicated to that kind of thing is good. And if, you know, if you find that your home is good for that, then fantastic, right? You have lots of choices. Um, and if you find that you're, if you're going to talk about working from home, if it's a, not that kind of place, if you have kids and there's just craziness happening, I think having a space that you can kind of go into and seclude a little bit um, is useful because being able to kind of settle and, and contemplate is, is very useful. Yeah. I'm, the home environment for me is generally pretty good for that because it's not a very um, active neighborhood during the day. There's very little um, foot traffic or car traffic. 
but I do have a couple dogs who probably 70% of the time are perfectly content to sort of lay down next to me or off on their own space or whatever. And then some of the time they really need something or another, whether they, you know, I really want to go outside or I really want to claw my way through the window and kill a squirrel or, you know, some kind of very pressing need. Or how dare the mailman show up all Ah, of a sudden. Intruders. Quickly to the barricades. Yeah, there is that. So Uh, to deal with those kinds of things, those intrusions, do you have a a mitigation strategy for that? Do you use headphones? Do you just blare music out of speakers? Do you have some way to kind of counteract kind of the indiscriminate noise that you do here? (coughs) Excuse me. For the dogs, I really haven't um, come up with anything. And that's driving me very slowly towards the idea that maybe a dedicated home office is something that would be worth a try again. Either that or a, a, you know, a dedicated quarantine for them during some portion of the Yeah, right. We actually have a a pretty good-sized backyard, but the one dog likes to dig underneath the neighbor's fence. But yeah, you could either quarantine yourself or you could quarantine them. (laughs) Either way, somebody's got to get locked up. (laughs) Right. So if if maybe sometimes if maybe the home isn't wasn't working for you, do you have kind of a space that you like to go to, do you like to go to? It's not an office necessarily, like a you know your company, but maybe it's a, a somewhere else, like a coffee shop or something like that. I've experimented with that a little bit, and there are a handful of places in the neighborhood that are very popular for that sort of thing. Uh, Stardust is just down the road, and and the, you know, all the Starbucks around Winter Park are good for that. Austin's in Winter Park is is popular for people to come and sit for hours at a time. And um, <coughs> all again, coffee shops, just to make it clear. Yeah, all coffee shops. And yeah, not just a guy named Austin who lets me come <laughs> over. Um, and I find with all of them, there's just too much going on. You know, there's too much visual activity. Even if I had the headphones on, um, people walking around and motion kind of catches my eye and, and pulls my focus off of what I was trying to do. So have you tried any other kind of, for people, maybe people don't know, but there are certainly in in metropolitan areas, there tend to be this um, kind of phenomena where because remote work is becoming more popular in general, at least in the United States, um, companies have actually sprung up to provide space for people, but that's actually their business is to provide the space. So you don't work for them. You just, they just you know, lease or buy a piece of office space and then they have either offices or they have desks. Um, or whatever, uh, kind of set up, and you can then purchase usually something like a membership where you maybe for a hundred dollars a month you can then go every you know every day to that space and you have a desk that you can sit at and you can kind of bring your stuff in and it's you know it's a secured area so you can like leave stuff behind so it's just like having an uh, an office in a regular you know company job except that it's sort of just your own thing that you just kind of do yourself rather than that being provided by your company. It's kind of analogous to the way hotels sprung up for people to have a place to spend a night. Co-working spaces have sprung up for people to have a place to spend the day. Right. And that might be just one day or it might be, you know, every day for a couple of weeks or maybe you just have an ongoing thing or that's where you go every day as your job. Um, have you tried anything like that? Not seriously. Um of course, in our in our old role, we used to work across the hallway from a big co-working space in downtown Orlando, and uh, we would use that once in a great while, I think, for various purposes connected to that job. And 
while I enjoyed my time over there, mainly I enjoyed my time over there in the context of um, catching up with the people who were working over there, which meant I was socializing with them and preventing them and myself from getting anything technical done. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, as much fun as the pancakes breakfast were, they didn't really get any any code committed. Have you done that kind of thing at all? Um, not really. Coffee shops. The uh, very limited coffee shop use. I find the same problem that you have, where it's just sort of too visually, and even you know, in some cases, you know, like Audio auditory, ears. auditorily, whatever, <laughs> whatever that word is. Auditorially. Uh, yeah the you know there's just too much sound uh going on and then even if i put headphones on um then there's just it's just too much you know i guess commotion i suppose i mean in particular if you talk about a starbucks right you go at the wrong time that place is just gonna be packed sure and and good luck even getting a seat let alone being able to settle down into a corner and actually get anything done um so i i see that a lot of people do it and it seems to be pretty a pretty popular option you know they have free wi-fi and stuff so that's great um but uh for me it's just too much uh too much going on um so as far as co-working space i think i'm trying to think i think the only time i've ever used one is actually so we're talking about starter studio which is a co-working space in orlando and it was across us across the hall from us and i think that's the only time i've ever used kind of an official co-working space um to get anything done uh, and I, I found it fine. I think I think if I had, I don't have a full remote job. I have a job that I go in four days a week, and I I work from home one day a week. But um, if I had a full remote job, I think it would be potentially an option um, to do that. To to you know to maybe ask the company to give me a stipend to do that or pay it for for it myself or whatever. Um, but I kind of like the idea of going to a place, sitting down, getting dedicated work done, and then when I get up and I leave then that thing is done and I'm able to concentrate on, you know, the rest of my life, right? I can I can say, okay, this is closed for now and I'm going to, you know, do other stuff um, in the intervening time. Mm -hmm. You know, one place that I had had some success with and I, I hadn't thought about it since I'd re-entered uh, remote work was the public library. Yeah. Because there's free Wi-Fi, there's um, plenty of, places to sit and plug your machine in quiet and no distractions you know there's not a lot visually going on uh, in the stacks yeah so i totally lied just now because i forgot about that that's that's a co-working space really i mean if you think about it um and i actually have spent a ton of time at the local libraries because for that exact reason like you just said quiet not very visually stimulating which is really what you want in this Absolutely. scenario you can find some secluded little table that's off in the corner that's like behind a stack of books no one's even going to walk by you let alone bother you yeah um usually free wi-fi power you know a decently large table to kind of spread all your stuff out yeah it's 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 a great place to work yeah i think the only uh, objection i'd have to go in back there in my current role is once in a while i do need to get on the phone with somebody and then I don't want to be a distraction to other people who are there. Then you're that guy. You're that guy. <laughs> who's who's on the phone in the guy. library is yeah. no good. No, 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 yeah. no. Right. And that's the, and that's the, I guess the other problem is, you know, if, it, if it's a co-working space, I feel like I would, I would feel pretty comfortable standing up from my table and maybe leaving and going to the lobby or even going outside or something to take a phone call. Whereas in the library, I don't really feel comfortable leaving my computer and my bag and everything like at a table while I like leave the library to go take a phone call, just because it's a much less controlled space. Whereas the co-working space, typically, 
in many cases you have to have like a you know a little key card to get in and they, they you know they they know that they're one of their things they're kind of protecting your stuff that's kind of part of what they're paying what you're paying them for so they're more diligent about kind of doing that and they also have the expectation that everybody is going to have this valuable you know, thousand or two or five thousand dollar item that they're bringing in with them every time which libraries tend to not I guess what I could do is go to the library and have that space as quiet work. And then when I have the phone calls scheduled, uh, just plan on picking up and going down the road to the coffee house and adding to the cacophony there. Yeah. Yeah. And a change of scenery isn't a terrible idea, right? It, it tends, sometimes t tends to help spur, you know, sometimes the commotion can actually be useful because it can just sort of take you out of the space you were in. I mean, sort of mentally um, and put you in a different you know, frame of mind, and that might actually be useful to you, um, you know, for, for purposes of solving a problem. I find that I do that. If I'm in a scenario where I'm sitting at my desk and I'm trying to get something done and I'm just sort of banging my head against the wall, right? And I'm just not, I'm just not getting anywhere with this algorithm or whatever I'm trying to do. Um, I find that a break is always a good thing to do. So I can highly encourage people to take breaks. Do not feel like you need to sit in front of your computer forever. Something that we used to tell our students not to do is a phenomenon that we called bulldogging, which is sort of the idea that you're just going to sort of aggressively attack this until you've conquered it, right? Uh, meaning I'm going to be up until 3 in the morning yeah. staring at my computer until I solve this problem. And the thing is, that's going to be very much a a process of diminishing returns. You're not You're not going to do a great job if you do that. Um, and in particular, you might get it done. You might stay up till three and get it done. And the next day you look at it, you're like, wow, this is terrible. Who wrote this, right? This is awful. And it's because you're just not in the right frame of mind. You're, you're too tired and stuff like that. So um, if you are in a, one of these environments and you find that you're kind of stymied a little bit, right? Um, changing one way to fix it is to take a break. Another way is to just literally get up, get all your stuff and go to a different space, because, you know, there's a little break there during that sort of transportation between one and the other. And it's for some reason, it kind of resets your your outlook when just because you're looking at different stuff. Yeah, there's so many positive benefits, whether it's uh, increased blood flow as you're up and moving around or uh, we lamented before how difficult it is to get your your focus and your flow back. But sometimes if that focus isn't really doing anything for you, a little reboot could be just the thing. And that's a, another benefit. Um, you're talking about the dangers of staying up till three in the morning and bulldogging. That's a benefit of the, the coffee shop library sort of environment is they're not going to let you stay until three in the morning. Right. <laughs> they have hours. They have hours. So <laughs> yeah. you, know, you could be done right. with the algorithm or not, but the lights are going off and you're yeah, going we're closing. Else. Yeah. Move your feet. We're trying to mop. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think all of those are certainly good options. What I would say as far as advice for our listeners is try some. Try yeah. out a couple of different ones and see see what you think, see what works for you cuz just because, you know, sitting on the couch at home works for Brian or or sitting in my kind of dedicated room works for me or coffee shops or whatever doesn't mean that it's going to work for everyone and you have to kind of try it out and see see how it works. I mean, a lot of the things that we talked about were free to use. So, you know, try a few different ones and see even if you find one that you think works decently well, give give several of them a try because it yeah. lets you decide what is not only decent, but what is the best for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. 
And it could be that several of them are sort of tied for the best or, or are good at different points in your work cycle or for different purposes. Right. And then you can, you can then, you just have more options. You can yeah. use them. You can, if there's one that works really great for one thing, like, okay, well, whenever I, whenever this kind of thing comes up, I'm going to use this environment because it kind of tends to work best for me in that scenario. So to move on, uh, we've kind of covered the physical space, the, the, the ways that you, you know, where you can be, kind of how you can be as far as, you know, sitting, standing, whatever is most comfortable for you. General advice is try several of them and, and see what you think. Um, you could start with, if you have a bunch of books, textbooks or something, just stack them stack up on the desk up, sure. and then stand in behind it and see what you think. That's a free option, right? And you can say, actually, I hate this or, oh, this is pretty great. Maybe I want to invest in a little bit more uh, gear to make this better. Um, but just kind of experiment and see what works for you. So to kind of move to more towards where you found a spot, uh, we're settling in, getting ready to do the work. Um, how do you handle... Uh, noise? Do you? I mean, we talked about that a little bit already. But do you usually use headphones, or or do you have music playing? Kind of from a you know audio st- stimulation slash distraction to help you work. Do you do you employ something like that? I don't currently because the the house that I'm in is quiet enough. The last place that I lived, the the neighbors' dogs would occasionally have spells, and for that I found that headphones with um, I found some very long uh, white noise. At first I tried large white noise MP3s that I found online. And then I found a a program that I could run from the the shell that would just generate white noise. Of course you found a a shell command that will give you white noise. Of course I did. Dot slash. It might not have even been white. I think it was... um, either brown noise or pink noise people who study these things have different color names assigned to for for different sort of spectra of frequencies you can get or something uh, dot slash brown dot sh and <laughs> there you go and wow you get this soothing almost ocean roar kind of noise uh, that would really do a great job in blocking out anything else and um, get the the earbuds tucked deep into the ear and and start going and I could see the, you know, the, the dog's jaws moving in the next yard over, but there was no sound coming from them that I could tell, which was glorious. Interesting. Have you ever tried, um, specifically noise canceling headphones? Have you ever given that a try? And I, I have not. Have you? I, yeah, so I do. I actually have a pair of the, um, Sony, it's got a insanely long and obnoxious model <laughs> right. number as a name, and I don't remember what it is. They're the the the, the, the Sony X, GUID X twos or something like that. I don't know. They're yeah. no Mark twos. They're, so they're the second edition of this particular set of headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, they're over the ear. Uh, they're uh, battery powered. They have a little USB connector oh, to wow. charge them, um, but they give you about. 30 hours of listening oh. with the noise canceling turned on. So that's, mm-hmm. that's it, I can easily get through. A, I usually don't even charge them probably mm, once or twice a week, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use them at work. Um, at, at, you know, I, most of the time I work in an office at, in a cubicle. Um, and so interestingly enough, for some reason, the, the company where I work has employed, I thought for months when I worked there, that it was just a really loud air conditioner. I thought uh-huh. that we just had like a really loud air handler yeah. that was, because you can see the, the tubes and stuff, you know, the, 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 we have like these round metallic yeah. tubes that run along the hallway that, that have air filled, you know, air uh, outlets in them. Um, and 
I just thought, wow, the, this building just has really loud air conditioning and whatever. So I just put my headphones on. Uh, turns out it's not that because one day it was deathly quiet in the office. It's because they've installed white noise generators in the hallway. Like every huh. eight feet, there's a little thing that is actually a little speaker and it puts out white noise. Huh. And that white noise sounds like an air conditioning unit. It's just sort of a shh kind of a sound. Um, Do you find that? soothing or relaxing or helpful no block out oh, i don't find it i mean i don't really i don't i don't hate it i don't think it's terrible but um i don't find it particularly conducive to helping me to kind of get in the flow of things so at any rate i use the these headphones and they electronically actively block that stuff um and it is rather shocking how good they are i mean it's not like you go from Hearing to being, you know, let's say deaf as far as like not being able to hear any of the outside world. That's not actually true. But but you, it does seriously cut down on, eh, I would say probably 90% of the noise that's being generated in the office is just blocked for me. Um, and so then the advantage there is two things. It doesn't, you know, that noise isn't in your ear. And two, if you are playing music with it, then you can play that music at a lower level okay. and you can kind of enjoy it at a regular volume. Not deafen yourself or have physical pain inside your skull from the... Right, yeah. So so I use them. I mean, in that environment, I think it works really well. Um, I don't really use that at home. I just sort of softly play some music from my computer because I'm in a separate room where I'm not bothering anyone. Uh, so I just play some music under my speakers and it's fine. Um, but, but yeah, for, for that kind of thing, like if I were there, if I was in a coffee shop or anywhere that was like really busy, I would probably use something like that because it would help to really just sort of cut way down on that. Do you ever noise um, pair the, or I should say, do you always pair the noise canceling with music or do you sometimes cancel noise and simply have quiet? So I don't always use music, but it is usually the case that what happens is the playlist runs out. (laughs) Uh-huh. of songs right and and then and then it's just there's just nothing and i've gone i think i've gone like hours without having any music playing and the reason is because i'm sitting there and i'm listening to the music and i'm you know i'm listening but i'm not listening actively yeah because it's just sort of noise and i'm coding and then it'll stop but i'm so engrossed in what i'm doing that i don't even realize that the music has stopped and i'm just i just continue on um and then at some point i'm like oh the playlist stopped i should probably put more music on um but but yeah so i have done both i probably wouldn't necessarily sit down with the expressed effort of i'm only going to use this for canceling noise because i do like having sort of a a thing going on yeah for my brain to sort of be mildly occupied with my concern with the noise canceling would be in the same way that if you go outside at night your eyes adjust after not too long do you ever find that your ears adjust and even though you're at 10% of normal ambient background noise, you are able to focus more because you are you just get used to it? Yeah. Or you focus more on the noise, I should say. It, yeah, it's definitely the case that um, even without the music, that, that, that drowning out that just indiscriminate noise from keyboards and the white noise machine and people walking around and all that stuff, um, it definitely helps the flow. Like, I, I really, I don't spend... Hardly any time at my desk without my headphones on. I mean, does does the noise, even though it's a lot quieter than it would be without the headphones, just by virtue of the fact that that becomes the new baseline of how noisy things should be, do you find that what would otherwise be unremarkable noises become something that you're sensitized to? Because oh, I see, I see what you're saying. Uh, mm, Not really. I've I've basically gotten. I've gotten used to the minimal amount of noise that 
happens okay. to make it through the headphones and okay. it doesn't it's the thing is it's so much less than mm-hmm. it would otherwise be without the mm-hmm. headphones that it's like this is great like by comparison okay this is so much better that I, i'm i'm cool with it yeah that's the one thing that I look forward to about aging is that there's a history <laughs> of, of hearing loss in my family. And from the time I, I was about 14 or 15 years old and started to become very sensitive to noises around me, I thought, oh, you know, I, I'm not looking forward to the hair loss or to the cardiac problems, but a little bit of... Maybe Some not, partial hearing loss would be partial, great. Yeah, not all the way full. I don't need to go the full Beethoven here, but just... Tone down the high end, I think, would would be beneficial. What kind of music do you like to listen to when you're coding? All kinds of stuff. I listen to stuff with with words, without words. I tend to if I if what I'm doing is isn't as intense or as serious as far as trying to get something solved, I tend to go with stuff that's more like regular music, right? Pop music or or rock or whatever I happen to be. I have a very eclectic musical taste, so I kind of have all kinds of stuff that I can pick from. Um, but I do find that if I am either struggling to get into the zone or if I feel like I'm kind of at the beginnings of being in the zone, I tend to go in and I switch the post over to something that has no words. Okay. Um, and I find... So one of my things that I really like... Uh, instrumental wise is musical sound or movie soundtracks. So the, the music okay. that com- accompanies a, a movie mm. um, because there are no words, right. but it is, it is kind of an exciting yeah. set of sounds. So, exciting and familiar. I imagine would be. A yes. Too. Right. Yeah. I certainly, I, I pick soundtracks to movies that I've already seen. So I have like a general idea of like when this particular sound was being made Um uh, you know, with if that you're like me, piece. I imagine it's soundtracks to movies that you've seen literally hundreds of times before. And oh yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I imagine I can guess what a three or four of those soundtracks would be. <laughs> well, Raiders of the Lost Ark soundtrack is really good. It's that's John the Williams, first one that so, came you know, to mind. That's, yes, that's obviously a good choice. Um, the Batman uh, trilogy, the recent Batman trilogy um, movies, interesting, uh, are, are actually quite good. Um, I haven't seen them hundreds of times, but the, but the soundtracks are, are actually quite uh, engaging. Um, so stuff like that. Uh, I also have just kind of like random sort of digital techno-y kind of, uh, you know, I, I literally have a sound, I literally have a playlist in Spotify called coding music. So it is, it is just sort of digital sounds and random things that are, that are interesting, but not too interesting. And that's kind of what I go for in, in that mode is, is, is interest, not, not just noise, but not so engaging that I'm like singing along and, <laughs> and I'm distracted from what I'm doing. Um, I want it to increase my concentration, not not decrease it. One thing uh, that I played around with just a little bit, and I don't even remember the reason I didn't get into it, but Free Code Camp has uh, streaming radio specifically for you know for these things: instrumental, down tempo music, no ads, obviously. And um, that's freely out there. I've heard that a majority of people now like to have something playing when they're working, if they're in a white-collar environment, some kind of music one form or another. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Because even if you don't have noise-canceling headphones, even if you just have something to put in your ears, even if it's not actively blocking noise, having music on will, will help drown that out so that you can listen to that and listen to all the people chattering and you can try and get your work done. Yeah. I also remember there was a um, 
a command line YouTube interface that you could pull up if you didn't want to have the the tab and the extra. And I think it also um, cut out the ads somehow it, it, by avoiding the the web interface. And you could set up a playlist in there and, and just play as much stuff as you wanted. So a lot of options out there. So again, I think our advice on this is, you know, try some different stuff. Try if you are in an environment where you can use speakers, try that. If 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 you think that you know, like a white noise sound file is going to work best for you, like what Brian described, give that a try. Um, try different kinds of music and just sort of notice the what the kinds of music that kind of get you into flow versus ones that really kind of get you out of it and distract you. Right. If you find that you're working along in your Swift or Java file and you look up and you have three lines of a Tom Petty song typed out, well, maybe instrumental is a better direction is the way to go. Yeah. Um, so kind of to, to get a little more focused on, on the actual digital environment that you're in, um, what kinds of, I know that you're a front end developer and, and have also done Ruby, um, but they're all kind of from an environment point, point of view, kind of all similar. So how do you, how do you get your work done? How, what kind of tools? And I don't mean what code do you write, but I mean, mm -hmm. sort of how do you write yeah. that code? And the primary tool there would be the text editor, of course. And as a, a longtime Ruby guy, I had been a Vim guy for a long period of time. And fairly recently, I guess just in this year, I've uh, started to be won over by VS Code. Yeah, VS Code is, is disturbingly good <laughs> <laughs> as, as was, a general purpose editor. I was pushed into that somewhat because in my current work environment, um, I... I have to work on a Windows machine and getting Vim set up there was just more of a headache than it really should have been. And um, VS Code was easier. And so I thought, well, I've heard a lot of people are enjoying this thing. And even some people have switched over to Vim. Let me see how Vim-like I can make it and then see if it offers any advantages. And yeah, there's a lot of nice stuff in there. And the momentum of a much bigger community and uh, a much friendlier programming environment from the standpoint of making the editor and the various extensions work and work together than Vim script ever was. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I've, because I've tried Atom, which is a, a GitHub or I'm sorry, a Google based product. Um, I've tried, uh, no, I think you were right at first. I think it, Atom is GitHub. Is it GitHub? Okay. Yeah. So GitHub. And then, uh, what was that other one that was really popular? another cross-platform editor um, I, I can kind of there is sublime text sublime there we go yeah so sublime text i've tried that um, i've just tried a bunch of different ones there were some that were like mac specific um and they've all been fine uh but the one that that has definitely stuck around on my computer longest and that and that whenever i'm like i need to edit some text i immediately open is vs code because it's just so flexible it it, it basically will syntax highlight essentially any kind of language you can imagine. I mean, probably not literally everyone, but they have a really, really wide list of things that it can format and highlight for you. Um, and we're talking code in particular, being able to see the different symbols in your code in a different way with typically a different color is really handy because it helps break up the sort of monotony of the wall of text and turn it into something that is that is more... Uh, you can tokenize it more easily with your eyes to sort of see, okay, this is the, okay, here's a function and here's the name of the function and here's, we're going to go into the block of code. And here's an if statement. Um, so it's really important if, especially if you're starting out with, you know, just starting to code, you want to try and find an environment, an editor space where whatever it is that you're writing is um, presented to you in a way that is tokenized like that so that you can see 
all the different pieces kind of at a glance. And another great benefit that any good editor and in particular VS Code will offer you is um, stuff around linting and auto-completion to make the computer do as much work as possible and point out when you have uh, gone a little astray and either mistyped something or made the kind of logical error that the the editor can pick up. You know, the, maybe you have a function with the wrong number of arguments or you're returning a string value to something that expected to get a number or things like that, that uh, the, the editor can really do a lot of work. And it's like having a more experienced person or a, a, at least a more aware person sitting right next to you saying, hey, I don't think you meant to do that. Hey, I, this is going to be a problem. And it catches a lot of stuff right away. Right, like you opened an if statement block with a curly brace and you didn't close it, so that's a problem, right? Um, stuff like that that the, the editor can catch, and then you can fix it, and what you end up with is you end up with a, a piece of code that has, where a bug was introduced and it was solved almost immediately without having to go through an actual testing procedure where you run the code and then it does weird stuff because you, you're missing something. Um, so having that kind of quick catch is really handy and, and helps you write better code more quickly. And speaking of writing more quickly, another great thing that these editors offer are um, snippets and auto-completion tools and um, all kinds of keyboard shortcuts so that you never have to take your fingers off the keyboard. That's something that uh, Vim drilled into me by the fairly simple expedient of having no mouse control whatsoever. <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. If you couldn't get it done through the keyboard, then just shut it's it down. It's not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would definitely not recommend Vim as a an editor to start with if you're a brand new coder. So you've, you've heard Brian say it a couple of times. I'm also a Vim person. Um, it is the learning curve on it is quite high, um, but the advantage is once you kind of get good at it, you can be incredibly fast because, like you said, everything is right on the keyboard. So they're all it's some sort of letter or combination of letters that you t that you press, and that creates various commands, and you can delete things and edit things and just kind of go crazy. Um, but uh, the downside is that because it's purely keyboard based, it is based on, uh, you know, some things make sense, like U is undo, that kind of makes sense. But there's other things that, that like, if you want to delete a whole line, you actually type DD, which mm -hmm. maybe makes sense, kind of, right. um, but it's not as obvious. And then there, and there's lots of letter combinations that you're just like, why is this like this for this command? It just is the way it is. And you have to just sort of memorize it and go with it. Um, but it is great. So w what I would recommend is if you want to, learn to use Vim, maybe use something like, v like VS Code, and then every once in a while, yeah, jump jump into Vim once you maybe already got a file created and you want to make a small edit. Try and make a small edit with Vim and sort of do it, jump back out, and kind of wade your way into Vim rather than like, I'm going to use Vim all the time because it's just, it's very, um, it can be very obtuse to use. And VS Code has a pretty good Vim uh, emulation mode which will give you about 80% of the way. You're not going to be the the full Vim Jedi master that you can be in the original program. But especially if you're new to it, I think that's a, a great way of getting introduced because you can get in, try some things, get frustrated, leave, and, right. and not have to burn several hours figuring things out. Right. Well, like, for example, if you screw something up in VS Code with the Vim bindings turned on, you can just simply close like the editor. Right? And you'll know how to do that. And yes. you'll know how to do that because it'll have an X in the corner or a file menu that you can use exit. Whereas if you're in real normal command line Vim, 
that's one of the probably the most popular Vim question I would guess on Google is how do I exit VI? Yeah, that's the old joke is how do you create an unbreakable password is give a open Vim to someone who doesn't know about it and ask them to just close the program and they'll try every keystroke there is. Your computer is totally secure <laughs> because they can't get back to the regular environment. Yeah, so that's something that I that that's a great idea. You can uh, there's basically plugins, right? Is that what they call them? I think plugins yeah. in VS Code, and you can just search for for Vim V I M, um, and you can just install that plugin. And the cool thing is, if you you play with it for a little bit, you're like this. I hate this. Just go into the plugins and turn it back yep. off, yeah, and then you're right out, back yeah. right back to normal where you were before. And there there's a host of plugins beyond Vim, which is very powerful, but other things that are language specific ways of doing different things or. Uh, editing, jumping around between functions and stuff. Plus, uh, there are a lot of built-in uh, shortcuts that VS Code gives you sort of natively. And it's overwhelming. You certainly don't want to read the entire documentation for the thing when you're just starting out with it. But uh, a tip that I read, and I'm trying to pull it into practice by you know, Ben Ornstein, one of my favorites who I've mentioned before, you know him, you love him, is as you're going through your day, just make a note of the reasons that you're having your fingers leave the keyboard to search through one menu or another. And if you find that uh, three or four times during the day, you've had to um, open up a file that is already there, but you're going up to, you know, file, open, look for a thing. Along with the menu, there will be listed a keyboard shortcut, right? And so at the end of the day, if you've done the same thing three or four times, say, oh, there was a shortcut for that. I'm going to write it down for tomorrow. And then the next day, anytime you find yourself about to do that, look down at what the shortcut is, use the shortcut. And by the end of day two, you'll have trained yourself to do that micro task a, a lot faster. And you might think that, you know, maybe as a brand new developer that, oh, well, I'm going to be on the keyboard. I'm going to be using the mouse. I'm going to be kind of, you know, using the computer in the same way that I might use it for general purpose use. What I can tell you is if you become a programmer for a living, you're going to spend so much time in front of the computer that you're going to want to find ways to sort of streamline your workflow. And key, key presses and, and key presses are less expensive work-wise than taking your hands off the keyboard and touching the mouse or the trackpad or whatever, and then mousing over to some area on the screen and clicking it, maybe clicking it multiple times and all that kind of stuff is just so much more expensive you know, effort-wise than just simply typing in a keyboard shortcut. Um, and I know it doesn't seem like a, you're like, what are you talking about? What, what's the big deal, right? One or two of those don't make any difference. But if you do that thing 40 times a day, pretty soon you're going to get really tired of doing that thing. So if you can find a more efficient way of doing it, why not give that a try? Because the, the less time you spend sort of messing with the computer to get it to do what you want, the more time you can concentrate on solving problems and just getting your work done more efficiently, which usually means getting it done in less time. We had said earlier in the hour that not much of your time is spent typing out stuff. And so you might think based on that, how much difference does it make? But remember that anytime you have to stop typing and go fiddle with a menu or two or drill down three or four levels in a menu in order to do something, that's taking you out of your flow. And so if you can come up with two or three keystrokes that eliminate the need to stop typing, go to a menu, fiddle around with the mouse. Even if it only takes 10 or 15 seconds, that can be enough time to pull you a little bit out of what you were doing. And then that lost time gets multiplied as you have to then 
return your fingers to the keyboard and return your mind to the problem at hand. So if you can eliminate that, uh, that change of context, keep your fingers where they're supposed to be, uh, it can make a big difference. Let alone potentially not remembering where that thing is, right? So then you're like, is it this menu or is it this menu? And then pretty soon you're so focused on trying to find the thing that you're just trying to you know, um, enable. And you forgot why you were looking for it. Right. So having having just a simple command C or whatever to 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 engage in a second is just so much faster and more efficient. And like like Brian just said, it keeps you your brain focused on the thing that it should be focused on, which is solving the problem at hand. And last, possibly least but maybe not. Uh, it does look really cool when <laughs> you can get very fast with the keyboard. And uh, if you're ever in an environment where you're either making a presentation or, you know, pairing with somebody or just showing someone what you're doing, even in an interview, if your fingers are kind of flying around the keyboard and magic is happening on the screen, that's impressive. Which I would say that's definitely the, the, the least important of those concerns but but it is still something still that you want to worth mentioning yeah be aware of and particularly in the interview context right you are trying to you have this very limited amount of time to impress the people that you're trying to have hire you and so if you can do this which gives you all of these benefits in your daily work and it also happens to help you out by making you look more impressive to employers why not have you ever played around with emacs I have not. Emacs is terrible. I mean, I have in the sense that I've opened it and used it, and I immediately decided that it was terrible, and then, <laughs> then closed it. That's the the other old school from kind of the the epic of programmers that Ben and I arose from. Emacs versus Vim was sort of the the big religious war of the time. Yeah, something that if you are new to programming that you may not be aware of yet is that for whatever reason programmers this is probably true in any industry but i've only ever worked in programming in programming there are what we call these religious wars meaning that that basically not actually about religion but just sort of two things right vi versus emacs or marvel or, versus dc it's that right, kind or, of thing but right. in a work environment right or tabs versus spaces for example to take another another programming one spaces by the way <laughs> yeah so <laughs> to, um, and I actually have gone to two spaces instead of four. Same. Yeah. Because uh, I like the horizontal compactness. Anyway, moving, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> right in to tell us why I'm totally wrong. Um, but uh, you'll find these, these sort of pretty much arbitrary style decisions that have been made. Um, and people get really, really into one or the other. And not only do they get into the thing that they're into, but then they basically hate everything else. So if you're a tabs person, then you hate spaces. If you're an Emacs person, then you hate VI. Like it's it's for whatever reason we've created this this tribal thing. And the funniest part is that it's about really nonsense. Like it, in the sense that it, it doesn't really matter in the end at the end of the day which of these is better. Um, it's just kind of whatever works best for you. But you will you will encounter that. And and don't the advice I always used to get to my students was. Just because someone is standing in front of you telling you that this, that tabs is the only correct way to write code, what you need to realize is that that's actually an opinion. It's not really a fact. So there are actual facts about this is how the syntax of the language is. And then there are things like tabs versus spaces or you better use Emacs kind of stuff, which is we will present it oftentimes as fact, but it's actually just that person likes that one better. And it doesn't cause any harm to anybody else. You know, there's a quote from Thomas Jefferson, if it neither breaks my leg nor picks my pocket, what difference is it to me? And that's what your feeling ought to be about what other people use as their text editor, which um, doesn't prevent 
sick burns like uh, people have described Emacs, which is this program that started as a way to manipulate text files and then grew to do an awful lot more uh, to the point that even five or six years ago, people were already saying Emacs was a great operating system lacking only a decent text editor <laughs> because it was just, it could do so much except for the core function for which it was originally intended. Yeah. So, you know, have fun and, and enjoy the things that you enjoy, but just remember that uh, the stuff that you like may or may not work best for everyone. And just because someone is standing there yelling at you saying you better use tabs or whatever, it's mostly just a style decision and, and, and feel free to do the other thing. Right. Especially use spaces. Right. Yeah. Use spaces. Don't use yeah. tabs. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and VI for the win. Like never an Emacs. Um, but no, we're just kidding. Except about spaces. Except. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian's real serious about spaces. There are some programs I th and extensions, I think, to, uh, to VS Code and probably to the others where you can automatically replace one with the other mm, so that nice. nobody has to worry about these kind of things. That it can be a problem, really, if you're working in a team and some people are adamant about spaces and other people about tabs because then as you check files into version control, it looks like the whole file has been replaced when it's really just someone has gone through and methodically gotten rid of all your carefully inserted spaces for their awful tab characters. Yeah, because what's worse than tabs? Both, right? Like that's that's the worst is tabs <laughs> yeah. and spaces. You, you yeah, don't want both. You want one forth. or the other. And what you really want is spaces. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if so, I don't think we actually describe what we're talking about. What we mean is the way that code is indented. So let's say you have an if conditional, right? If parentheses, some conditional, you either put your opening brace next to it or you put it on the next line. And Which is another a whole other thing. That's <laughs> K&R style bracing versus <laughs> almond bracing. But we could have an episode on religious force. We fun. really could. Maybe we'll do that next. Um, but uh, regardless, you then have a, a block of code below that is that is designed to occur only if that conditional inside the if statement is true. And so you're going to want to indent that code so that it looks like it is part of they're, they're lined up with each other and that they're inset from the rest of the code that you've written so that you can tell this code only pertains to this if block. Um, and so that indention, what we're talking about is basically, do you have the editor insert a single tab character or maybe multiples, um, or do you have it insert Still, you're still bumping the code over, but are you doing it using a tab or are you using, are you using a set of spaces to do that? Um, so as you can see, by the way, I've just described it, it is incredibly arbitrary. Like it's, it just, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's such minutia, but, but it is, these are the kinds of things that are really important to, let's just be honest, most coders have a pretty strong opinion one way or the other. Um, and and what we're saying is it doesn't really matter. Do whatever works best for you. But keep in mind that these kinds of things exist. So if you're getting into programming, and especially if you're maybe starting your first job, um, I would I would acquiesce to whatever the person that's above you wants for now as a junior. And then as you kind of learn to develop your own style, you can uh, you know kind of come to your own conclusion about what works best for you. Well, it looks like we've come to another uh, the end of another hour, Ben. And if people would like to know more about the show, where should they go? What should they do? So the best place to do that would be our website, mvc.fm. And that's where you can find everything. You can find the show notes that we talked about in this episode and everywhere else. So if we have links and stuff, 
we'll put that there. Um, and so just MVC.FM is kind of your, your one-stop shop for everything. And that even includes uh, an easy way to get a hold of us, which is through Twitter. So we are at, at MVC Podcast. But if you can't remember that, just go to the website and there's a link to take you right to Twitter. And then you can chat with us and suggest topics or ask questions, whatever, whatever you want. Um, also, if you could, it really helps us out a lot. If you are an iTunes user, if you could jump into iTunes and find the Model View Conversation podcast there. Um, and rate and review us while you're there. That would be really helpful. Thanks for listening.